Arts, along with products by the region's artists, artisans, makers, and craftsmen at Catskills Curated. NarrowsburgUnion.com Hello, 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 and welcome to the local edition, news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host for this Friday, Patricia Robayo. We have a we have a pack show today, so let's get straight to it. Just want to give a quick shout out to my former editor at the Sullivan County Democrat, Max Shortall. I say congratulations, good luck with everything. In the second half of the show, we'll turn our attention to the Friends of the Upper Delaware River and Neversink Watershed Management Plan. We'll be checking in with them to learn more about their efforts to preserve and protect this important ecosystem that we have here in Sullivan Catskills. Then later in the show, we'll be discussing a critical issue facing our community, food insecurity. We'll be speaking with the Catskill Agrarian Alliance to learn more about their efforts to address this pressing issue and impact it has on our region. But first... It's Friday on the local edition, and every other Friday, we check in with the Times Union to see what's going on in the Hudson Valley. And on the phone with us now is the one and only Philip Pontuso. Uh, Philip, welcome back to the program. Uh, one pressing issue I saw that you've been working on and covering is the problems that we're having, what some residents are having, with Central Hudson's billing issues. What's the latest on that uh, important issue? Yeah, so the bad news for Central Hudson just keeps on trucking. Um, they, as many listeners will perhaps be all too familiar with, um, they rolled out a new billing system in September of 2021, knowing it turned out that there were some errors with that system. They forged ahead anyway. The system didn't really work all that well. There have been a number of problems, including people being radically overbilled and then maybe the next month underbilled uh, or just not getting bills altogether. All kinds of issues. There's been a lot of reporting from in the Times Union and elsewhere about two concurrent state-level investigations that were happening, one out of the state Senate and one out of the Public Service Commission. The reports for both of those have come out in recent weeks. Uh, the latest news, though, is earlier this month, there was a class action lawsuit filed against the Central Hudson in state Supreme Court, and it lays out alleged issues that six customers of the utility spread across four counties faced. But it's a class action lawsuit because any of the money awarded would go to any Central Hudson customer who was adversely impacted by this billing rollout. So that's that's the latest news. Um, the, the customers who put their names on this lawsuit were experiencing the same kind of issues that are pretty common or that you've heard a lot about in any of the reporting about Central Hudson over the past 18 months. Uh, one of them is this woman in Cooksackie who was billed a thousand bucks above what she normally was billed for in April of May of last year. There was another customer in Kingston who was billed for double his normal rate. The utility really never explained why. There's also a pretty explosive, well, I don't know if you call this explosive, but a, a, a a pretty pointed critique in the lawsuit or claim in the lawsuit claiming that Central Hudson, quote, unjustly enriched itself, unquote, 
which the company has denied, of course. And as listeners might be familiar with, they they push back on some of the findings in the state investigations, saying that while there were some issues with this billing system, got to give them credit, they're at least acknowledging that all of the customers had their bills properly adjusted. And if they were overbilled certain months, then that was made up on the back end. And they claimed essentially that no customers were financially impacted by this in the long run, which there's a lot of skepticism about that. And I think more reporting to be done on that front, which Roger Hennigan Gilson, who has been on top of this story for the Times Union for months now, is doggedly working away at. Yeah. This is an ongoing story, so I'm glad that he is working away on that. I know p- folks personally that have been affected by this, and you know, like, and I, while you have gotten some answers, they haven't, and just you know, surprised that they were getting charged like estimated bills, and all of a sudden, one month they're double charged, and it's like, you know, taking them by surprise, and uh, they're not they're not getting any sort of clear answers or clear communications from Central Hudson. Yeah, unfortunately. That's an all too common scenario. As part of these, there, there, there are a number of attempts to sort of address these problems. One of them, there was a bill that was introduced uh, earlier this year or earlier this month that would eliminate uh, any utility company's ability to do estimated readings uh, because that's a thing. That's a that's a problem that a lot of people have had. Like the They'll do an estimated reading one month and turns out it was way off. And so they then overbill or underbill the next month. And it makes it so that every month when your bill comes, you have no idea if it's going to be $250 or $1,000. Totally inconsistent. Well, I look forward to seeing more reporting on this, this issue with Central Hudson. And moving on to some news news, I guess that's the way you put it. Uh, Mid-Hudson News, which is a well-known news outlet here in the Sullivan Catskills, has been acquired by the former state senator, Mike Rattucci. What can you tell us about this acquisition of a news outlet from a former state senator? Yeah, so this was the story that I personally was working on earlier this week. And um, although I should acknowledge that Mid-Hudson News broke the story. but yeah, so former state senator Mark, Mike Martucci, uh, after he decided last summer not to run for re-election after the redistricting made his Senate district pretty radically different from the one he had represented in 2021 and 2022, he was kind of, as he described to me, sort of looking to go back to his roots as a small business owner. Listeners might know that before he was in the state legislature, he was a, a rather successful small business owner and entrepreneur. He founded a bus, a school bus service at the age of 22 that grew to employ over 500 people and made him a multimillionaire. So he was kind of just looking for, you know, his next business endeavor. And he got into a conversation with Tink Gross, who was the founder and the editor and the publisher of Mid-Hudson News, kind of a long time. Hudson Valley journalist. And as Hank recounted to me, he asked Senator Martucci kind of jokingly if he was interested in buying his publication. And Martucci thought it over 
realized that uh, it could probably use some capital investment given the headwinds that local journalism is facing across the industry and decided that he would that he would buy it. I don't know how much it sold for. I have both of them and it's confidential for the terms of the contract they agreed to, but they closed the deal on January 4th um, after Artucci had officially exited elected office. So he's going to take over as the publisher. Hank Gross is staying on as the editor. Uh, Martucci told me he insisted, frankly, that he would only concern himself with the business operations. All of the day-to-day editorial and journalism decisions are going to still be under Hank Gross's purview and, of course, the, the purview of the reporters who work for Mid-Hudson News. That was kind of the main question I had. You know, you have a, a, a politician a, and a former elected official who's buying uh, a news outlet, um, you know, I, that raises some questions about why they're doing that and if it's going to change the political stance of the publication. Martucci reiterated again and again in conversations with me that he really just valued hyperlocal news, wanted to make sure that it remained in the community that he grew up in, where he still lives, community he represented in the state legislature, um, and uh, you know, wasn't going to get involved with the editorial side of things. He does hope to expand. You mentioned the, the new offices. I think in the coming months, they might look to hire more reporters, might look to get into other media, even podcasts. So watch your back, Radio Catskill, I guess. Um, <laughs> and, and um, you know, maybe other, maybe other expansion plans in the future. But for now, He's just spending time really learning about the media business. The local news landscape has changed so much in recent years. You know, we had the time told the record here in uh, in Orange County, based out of Orange County, and that was uh, you know purchased by Gannett, and they have done tons of layoffs, uh, closed the, the offices in Middletown. I believe they moved their printers out to New Jersey, so that has changed the landscape here. So it's, I'm very curious to see how a person who comes into this in current landscape of a, a supposedly dwindling industry, um, it, feels, it seems like it's been dwindling for years, but, uh, you know, we're all here still. And, you know, going there, buying Mid-Hudson News and try to make a goal out of it. It's it's really interesting time to do that. Yeah, no, I mean, you're really um, hitting the nail on the head there. I think, you know, a, a capsule history might be, relevant here you know they're in the sort of 90s and early 2000s you know first boom of the internet the impulse was to just try to get as many eyeballs on your stories as possible Um, and so everything was free uh and the way that the publishers made money was by selling digital ads against those impressions well now um it's really the the search platforms and the social media platforms that are monetizing digital ads and that's partly because the digital ad brokers are can sell you know at better rates to them and because of technological changes they can hyper target digital ads so that they don't actually need to sell to let's say uh, a local media company and but as you rightly said that sort of conditioned everybody to just expect that information 
should be free. And this is something I thought a lot about having worked for a local startup publication in the past and now for a bigger uh, corporation like Hearst, which owns the Times Union. I think that there's a strong argument that certain information can can and should be free, but uh, any publication is really going to rely on local subscribers. Unfortunately, in the Mid-Hudson Valley, as you as you noted, the legacy print publications here are really facing some tough times. Uh, you mentioned the Times Herald Record. Just across the river, there's the Poughkeepsie Journal. Both of those are owned by Gannett, which has been laying off staff at its newspapers really across the country. I think there's one one editor who works for those two papers combined right now, and I think maybe they have three reporters combined. That's not counting sports. Um, and so, yeah, if you go if you go to their websites on any given day, they're mostly running wire stories or high school sports stories. Uh, that's a big reason, frankly, why the Times Union has uh, been covering the Hudson Valley more. There's really a, a need to cover, to, to do more news coverage in this region and an audience that really isn't being served by some of the existing publications down here. Uh, that's something that, that Senator Martucci actually pointed out as a reason why he was interested in buying the Mid-Hudson News. He said that there's really a growth opportunity here for a business given the vacuum of local information. Uh, you know, we'll see if he's right. I, I hope he is, uh, because certainly the region could use more local coverage. It's definitely be interesting to see how this all plays out. We were talking to Philip Antuso, managing editor for the Hudson Valley Times Union. Philip, thank you so much for talking to us, and we'll talk to you again in two weeks. Sounds good. Have a good weekend. Moving right along. Thank you so much, Philip, for that. We'll talk to you again in two weeks. Sullivan County, the Trout Unlimited, and Friends of the Upper Delaware River are developing a never-sink watershed management plan. The watershed management plan will profile the never-sink watershed, online management goals and recommendations, and identify pilot series. Project implementation. There's a Zoom meeting happening on Monday, starting at 6.30. And to tell us more about this upcoming Zoom meeting with more information about the watershed, is on the phone with us now is the executive director for the Friends of Upper Delaware River, Jeff Skeldon. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us on the program. What can you tell us about this upcoming Zoom meeting? Yeah, so the meeting um, is actually it's January. It's Monday, January 30th, and uh, coming up here real quick. And, yeah, we have a federal grant to work with our partners to put together a management plan for the entire Never Sink Watershed. And one of the first things we have to do, is, of course, is to educate the public about what it is we're doing and why it's important. So we schedule a long – we'll have probably a series of these meetings, maybe up to 10, each covering a different topic and uh, uh, leading up to the, you know, to the development of the, and the finalization of the plan, which is probably a year away. Uh, but so, yeah, this is our second in a series of public hearings, and we hope we can – uh, have as large audience as we had in our first uh, hearing last week, or our first public meeting last week. If we could remind folks of why it's so important to have a management plan for the Never Sink watershed. Yeah, I mean, in New York State, we're, we're a water-rich state. Our rivers and our streams mean a lot across multiple dimensions, whether it's economic, environmental, social, cultural. 
you know, we have a long history, environmental history, and our rivers are such a big part of it. And they play a role in everybody's lives every day, whether it's commerce or recreation. You know, I mean, fishing is one of the obvious attractions of our Catskill rivers. And, you know, as time goes on and pressures increase, including uh, climate change and human-made pressures, it, we need to start taking a holistic view of the watershed. And we need to start thinking about the future and, and how we're going to, you know, how we're going to march forward in the future, whether it comes to development patterns, recreational opportunities, rules and regulations, or, you know, bringing people together on a voluntary basis to keep the river clean and healthy. All of that has to be put together in a plan for any of it to make sense. So that's what we're trying to do here with the Neversink uh, Watershed Management Plan. Since the pandemic, this has been an influx of folks coming up here to the Southern Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania, the Upper Delaware, all coming here because of the natural resources that we have, the beauty of the Sullivan Catskills that we have. Is there going to be a study done within this management plan of the economics of our natural resources? Yeah, you hit on a really important point. I mean, in recent times, you know, this, 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 uh idea that rivers have economic value has never been more uh, important and never been more, um, you know, it's something that we need to factor into everything we think about the river. So the river's not just, you know, it used to be rivers were like conveyances for waste or they were just viewed as, you know, um, we built cities next to them and walled them off or we you know, they might be a nice place to recreate every now and again. Now we need to incorporate them into the entire fabric of our communities, including the economic. So it's this this study will not conduct an economic study, but it will include recommendations, and I suspect that might be one of them, um, that we get a good handle on how much is a river worth and um, how do we, you know, again, how do we manage that to accommodate all watershed stakeholders, which is a pretty demanding concept, right? I mean, there's a lot of people that think about the river in lots of different ways. You know, so we want to figure out a way to love the river, but not love it to death. And that means making sure everybody has a say and, you know, how they feel about it and how they fit into the the picture here as we as we move forward through the decades. I guess you have to find that balance between enjoying our natural resources and, you know, having the Sullivan Catskills not be a destination for folks to come here and enjoy all the great stuff that we have here, but still maintain it and support our natural resources so we have it for generations to come. An enormous part of the local economy of the towns and villages in the Catskills is based on natural resources and the tourism economy. It's just increasingly becoming a, you know, a big chunk of the economic picture up here. So, it behooves us to think about that and think about 10 years and 20 years and 50 years from now, how we're going to keep it that way to make sure people still want to come and enjoy the natural resources and help local economies in the, you know, when they're here. Can you give us a timeline on this Never Sick Management Plan? You're having the outreach information sessions this year. When is the final product going to be out to the public? Yeah, so you know we're, we 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 received a uh, grant from the federal uh, Delaware River program. It was actually Sullivan County that received the grant, and um, you know there are timelines in that grant. I would we're hopeful that we can complete the public outreach, uh, you know, through the spring and summer, and then get down to really bear down on writing the plan. And we have experts on committees that are helping us do that. 
the plan will be very much informed by the public sessions we're doing now. And we hope that a year from now, we should have a final draft of the plan uh, that we can take back out to the public and have them take a look at it and tell us what they like and what they don't like, and then finalize it shortly thereafter. So I would say in a year's time, we should be very close to the finish line. And, and of course, that's with, that's with the plan. And anybody who is in this, the business of planning knows that the plan is just a plan until you activate it and implement it. And um, that, that will be the next stage. And the final stage is involving the government and having the government, uh, you know, ha- put these plans into action or how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good question. I want to be very clear that this plan is really a collaborative plan. So it's not creating any new laws or regulations. It's not telling people what they can or can't do on the river or on their private properties, nothing like that. It's a, it's built, the plan is built in the spirit of collaboration and inclusion. That's the energy of the plan. Uh, so it's not going to prescribe any new laws or anything like that. But so basically what it will be is a whole bunch of people who care about the river saying, we think this is some good guidance on the, over the next 10, 20, 50 years, but how we should look at our watershed and how we should manage it. The Zoom call is happening on Monday, January 30th, starting at 6 p.m. Where can folks find that Zoom link and get involved? Yes, they can go to FUDR.org. It'll be front and center. And they can see the link and they can sign up for the session. It's free of charge. Anyone can join. We encourage everybody to listen in. We, we promise we'll keep it to only an hour because we know everybody's evening time is so valuable. And we appreciate the uh, interest that you know people have in dedicating that hour of their their evening time to learning more about what we're trying to do here. So yeah, FUDR.org, that'll, that'll get them all the information they need to know. We were talking to Jeff Skelding, the executive director for the Friends for the Upper Delaware River, talking about the information session that's happening this Monday at 6 p.m. Jeff, thank you so much for talking to us and letting us know about this important initiative. Great. Thank you, Patricia. We'll be, we'll be right back. We'll talk about food insecurity. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Welcome back to The Local Edition. News and information to keep you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. As the pandemic continues to ravage the nation, food insecurity has become a pressing issue for many Americans with job loss and financial insecurity on the rise. More and more people are struggling to put food on the table. But here in New York State, one one organization is working to help bridge the gap in food insecurity, the Casco Agrarian Alliance. This new nonprofit is a comprehensive food project operating in our listening area, focusing on growing food and partnering with local food suppliers to ensure those in need have access to fresh, healthy meals. Joining us on the phone to us today is the Executive Director for the Catsco Agrarian... keep saying that word wrong. Catsco Agrarian Alliance, Diana Kennedy, to tell us more about the organization's mission and how they are working to combat food insecurity in their community. Diana, welcome to the program. Thank you. 
Um, like I said, this is a you know a new nonprofit. I gave a very brief overview of what this what uh, new profit is about. Um, can you tell us more about how you are are aiding in uh, food insecurity here in our listening area? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we have been a collection of farms um, working collaboratively for almost a decade, and we've been running a big CSA that goes to the city and mostly Catskills, um, Western Catskills, so Upsico, uh, Delaware, and Schoharie counties. But during the pandemic, um, a lot of the farms lost their markets, plus nobody had access to food because of the supply chain insecurities. Right. So we kind of pivoted and um, just did, like, we just all decided we needed to get food to people, <laughs> however we were going to do that. So we just did a lot of fundraising, and we were able to um, purchase food from all of our member farms. There's about 40 farms working with us. And we um, started working with all the kind of grassroots organizations that were jumping up that were, you know, free fridges and people doing, you know, jail relief sandwiches and, um, you know, and then all the distributions in the city and, and also in the Hudson Valley. And um, so we'd purchase food from the farms and use our supply chain that we'd put together for the CSA to deliver food to people. And um, I think the the thing that makes us a little different than most groups is that we partnered with the organizations and the people receiving the food to then um, crop plan and to work together to make decisions. So we have, now that we're an official nonprofit, we have a mutual aid advisory board and we have a we integrated a lot of the people that were just volunteering to do those distributions into our staff and board. So um, it's a really integrated process. It's not just like emergency food relief, especially now that the pandemic has just gone on and on and yeah. kind of morphed into whatever reality we now live in. But it's more of like a mutual aid project or a food sovereignty project where everybody, all the stakeholders have um, a voice in the project. Absolutely. You know, like I said, uh, the food insecurity is, it was an issue before the pandemic and the pandemic has only uh, heightened it. Um, I, I'm really interested in, right. in, in, in this partnership. I know you mentioned the CSA has been around for a while. Uh, can you talk about how this partnership, because it's not an easy feat to bring all these farms and producers together and organize them and to, you know, to, to go through the, 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 the CSA and, and to help with the food insecurity. How did that come about? How, come, how did the partnership happen? Well, it was really just, you know, I, was, I started a farm in the Catskills four hours from the city. It's really hard to get there. It's like launching a little spaceship. It's about $1,000 a trip. And so we um, partnered with an existing farm that, farm that mentored me that had trucks and were going to the city anyway to do markets. And we started kind of an unofficial hub there called the Lucky Dog Hub where people could use their trucking services to get food to wherever they were hoping to get food. And we kind of formalized that over the years. And then when I started my own farm, we started a multi-farm CSA to help support the farm and kind of took over those hub logistics. And then it just sort of grew naturally. um, The partnerships all worked. The people were getting their food. Everybody liked it because it was like a diverse, full diet market, you know, option. And and it grew like 30 to 50% every year. But it was a modest project still. Um, But then when the pandemic hit, it just exploded, you know, because everybody lost their restaurant accounts and everybody want, was like, afraid they wouldn't be able to go grocery shopping. So suddenly our membership jumped up to like 800 people and a lot more farms wanted in. And so, it, it you know, since then it's been, it's it has taken on this kind of, it's, it's grown. <laughs> it does, definitely. And I said, it's, it's, we, 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 yeah. go ahead. I'm no, sorry. 
I was just going to say, so we have a staff now. It's not just me anymore. There's a there's a whole crew of people that working on it, which is another reason to make it a nonprofit because the profit margins would, you know, especially if yeah. you're giving away the food, obviously, <laughs> are never going to pay the staff. Yeah. No, and thankfully, you, know, you definitely need a staff. You know, coordinating everything. Um, we're running out a little bit of time. We got about two minutes left. Uh, if folks want to get more information, where can they go? You can go to CatskillsAgrarianAlliance.org. So it's C-A-T-S-K-I-L-L-S. Agrarian is A-G-R-A-R-I-A-N, Alliance, A-L-L-I-A-N-C-E. So CatskillsAgrarianAlliance.org. Awesome. Uh, we have about a minute left. I, I'm really interested in this. If you could talk quickly about the land access and building services for uh, opportunities for queer and trans and black indigenous and people of color. Can you talk about how uh, the Catskill uh, Agrarian Alliance works with that? Sure. I mean, I only have one minute, so I'd love to talk to you again sometime. But, oh, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely they... promise you, you'll definitely be back on the air again. <laughs> I, I, because there's so many things I want to talk to you about. So, But go ahead. Sorry. It's a big, it's a big, it's a big project. But the really quick summary is that we um, supported farmers and hired a project manager named Francis Hugh, who's brilliant, um, to facilitate this transaction between American Farmland Trust and Agrarian Trust to procure a 300-acre farm in our in Delaware County, and that we just found out yesterday that it's all going to happen and it's going to be real. So we're starting our New York's first agrarian commons. Nice. From with Agrarian Trust, and and so we've sort of facilitated and managed that, that project, and we're about to start a community board to manage it, and um, prioritizing you know people that don't normally have access to this land to farm that land. We were talking to Diana Kennedy, the executive director for the Catskill Alliance, Agrarian Alliance, talking about food insecurity. <laughs> Diana, thank you so much for uh, talking to us. We're definitely going to have you back on the air again. Uh, there's so much that we could talk about. This is, this is a really big subject. So thank you so much for joining us on the local edition. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for 